Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Fanthropological, the podcast that explored the breadth of human fandom. This week, we continue our three-part series in which we close the book on the podcast that was Fanthropological, uh, continuing with a look forward to the episodes that might have been. Here with me to do that are my two best friends, Nick T. I guess that makes this episode like Days of Future Past or something like that. Days of Future Pod. Ooh, I should have said that. <laughs> and Nick Z. Ahoy, hoy. Spent a long time on the podcast covering various fans and fandoms, but uh, there are, interestingly enough, a bunch that we didn't get to. <laughs> and we are going to muse aloud about the ones we might have done. Had we gone on? So starting at number five, Z, we'll start with you. Sure, yeah. My number five is Haruki Murakami, or insert popular yet somehow obscure author here. <laughs> so like honestly any any author who's like you know kind of kind of brushing up against i guess the mainstream sort of like you know pretty big but not so big as to be like a new like a like a george rr R. martin type person like a dave foster willis or mark mark z danieluski yeah. or I'm trying to think of yeah yeah like they're, they're like interesting and notable but sort of mainstream at the same time yeah the guy who wrote uh, house of dead leaves House of Leaves. That's Mark Z. Danieliski. Well, there you go. I didn't. I didn't put those two together, so it's perfect. But that's my number five. It would have been uh, neat to find out if there was any kind of coherent fandom around uh, an author like that. Did not do a lot of book stuff. No. I mean, we we did a couple of the like very popular books. Oh yeah, right. Like we yeah. did a Song of Ice did and Lord Fire. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, we did. We did a Song of Ice and Fire. We did Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh, arguably, we did James Bond, but that's not <laughs> really. That's more of a cinematic thing. I mean, we we didn't. I don't know if we did book things that were not also turned into like movies <laughs> or series. I guess the Vampire Chronicles, because uh, that's true. Film, that filmmakers true. would interrogate the text from the wrong direction. Yeah, that's right. I think the challenge with like authors is that people tend to be more of fans of broad swaths of things than very specific things. Like people who are fans of Star Trek or Star Wars probably are also fans of other science fiction. Yes. But they, they probably have a favorite. If they read regularly, they probably have a favorite author, probably a John Scalzi or other big name sci-fi person. Ursula Le Guin. Kay? Oh yeah. Ursula K. Le Guin. It's okay. Like, um, yeah. Yeah. Le Guin. Oh, was so close. The biggest literary one we did was probably Sherlock Holmes. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. We did a lot of topics. <laughs> we did a lot of topics. Yeah. We sure did. My number five is in a completely different direction. I think it would have been cool to cover VTubers. VTubers? Yeah, like virtual YouTubers. Oh. I don't even know if the YouTube is part of that anymore. It's now like Twitch and everywhere. I think this actually Mm. vaguely came up a while back or somebody had the inkling of covering this at some point previously. But right now they're a really big thing. And so I think if we were still doing the show, it would have been really timely. It, I don't even know why it's it's gotten so popular, but it's like, uh, oh yeah, I haven't explained what it is. With Twitch and YouTube, like it's you, it's your face. Y- even if you craft a persona, it's still like your face. I don't know. Mm. I don't care how much makeup you're putting on <laughs> unless you're wearing like a face mask. It's, it's you. VTubers use like some sort of face rigging software so that when you are speaking or talking or emoting on Twitch or YouTube, you are not using your body. You are using a virtual model. And that could be an anime model. It could be Whoa. a cartoon. It could be something else. It's really neat. Hmm. And apparently not super hard to do. I mean, it's easy. It's probably hard to do well, but you can set up your own like rigging model. I'm assuming that's why it's popular now. And so I think it would have been really fascinating because it's it's talking about like, our, I don't know if people are fans because it's anime or because like, I don't know if people are fans of VTubers or particular VTubers. Hmm. Yeah. 
And I also don't know why. Is it privacy? Is it because now you too can be an anime girl or <laughs> anime boy? All right, pulls in a lot of people. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's that's my number five. Number five for me is just uh, mostly an extension of a personal interest. And that is folk music, specifically mm-hmm. like traditional or English folk music, because I love it. Um, but I don't have any concept of what any kind of scene or fandom of it looks like right now. <laughs> I know there's a lot of it, a lot of revival in the 60s and 70s. I can barely picture a young person doing, performing traditional English folk music. I know it's out there, but like, I I have no idea what it would look like in a modern age. It'd also be kind of interesting to talk about like people being legit outraged at say Bob Dylan <laughs> going electric at the Newport Folk Festival and things like that and why that was a big deal. I would do a podcast Note to self, I guess. <laughs> Unlike any any musical genre, uh, even if I hated the music, because I love exploring what people like about music. I was literally about to say, "Is the is this where Filk finally makes its way onto the podcast?" <laughs> oh, it could, it could. That'd be good. That'd be good Whoa. avenue for for Filk to come in. I don't like Filk either, uh, but I think it would be interesting to research, and I might like it. Uh, you know, by the end of the process, if I were part of a uh, podcast about. English folk music. I would definitely try to see if there was a connection between it and cable knit sweaters. I feel like there's got to be. I feel like if you there's a strong yeah, connection. Yeah. <clears throat> if you're if you're looking for that scene, just follow a thread that looks like it's come from a cable knit sweater. <laughs> Z your number four. All right, my number four is actually not a specific fandom, but kind of more of a concept. You know. Ooh. Of course. So. For those who might just be listening into this episode because it's, you know, it's recent um, and not so familiar with uh, with our back catalog of episodes, the last uh, season or so, we've been tackling sort of questions in fandom rather than topics. This is another question. And put simply, are there fandom archetypes? Now, what I mean is like Chrono Trigger was huge for those who experienced it in 95, 99, when they were like, you know, somewhere between 8 and 18. Does that fit into some sort of grander generation uh, defining archetype? And if so, what would the equivalent be for people who were in that age range in 2005, 2015? Is there even an equivalent thing? Or were people in that age range in in the 90s just getting turned on to Chrono Trigger because of like the motto culture and there weren't 100 games to play every month? Hmm. Interesting question, actually. When you said archetype, my first thought was like, oh, you mean like somebody who collects things versus something else? But no, you're talking about something like even more like a, what is that even called? That's definitely some like anthropological stuff yeah. going on there. Yeah. Or eth- ethnographic studies. I'm really bad at my social sciences. Yeah. Anthropographic studies. Yeah. Anthropographic <laughs> studies. I mean, if it was uh, if it was tackled from an anthropological angle, it would probably be like, in anthropological terms, what kind of a fetish is Chrono Trigger, and what is that? What is the equivalent fetish item today? Hmm. Got it. Yeah. Hmm. So that's my number four. Well, I would say that my number four, and this is partly driven by my personal interest, Community, the show by Dan oh. Harmon. Oh, that would be a good one at this point. There's been enough time, I think. Yeah, I um, I recently watched the whole show. It hadn't been available all in one location until it recently made it to Netflix. So I watched all six seasons and it was just interesting because I think at the time it was, what was it on like NBC or something? It was talking about all these different tropes and archetypes of shows and it, it kind of hinges on, but also winks at and, and all this other stuff. But it also has its own little meaning and, and creates this niche. And I'm curious if, 
that translates into a fandom or if it just means you have folks who are media savvy who just enjoyed watching it yeah also the, de- the development history of is in- interesting like it ended up on yahoo screen a service which i'm sure nobody watched <laughs> there's a lot going on with it yeah yeah like chevy chase and many of the other actors leaving the show for different reasons dan Harmon being fired from the show the fact that donald glover would then become a superstar recording artist oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's all kinds of stuff in that show that sort of influenced the following decade. Yeah. So my number four, going from a personal interest to something I I would want to cover because I literally know nothing about it, but keep seeing it be brought up, is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Oh, that would have been good. (laughs) (laughs) All that I know about that show is that it follows some various Joe, literally Joe Star. Joe Star. Joseph starred whatever (laughs) Joe... Like the name yeah. always follows a prefix and there's all these families and it's always like Dio is a fucking dick <laughs> <laughs> and like immortal or some shit. I just know there's a lot of posing mm-hmm. and the art is hideous <laughs> and like everyone seems to have the best time with it. I've seen like gifts and stuff where people mention it a lot and it just seems like, like I sort of have to know what that particular fandom thread means. I know nothing. I'd be really interested in seeing the connection between like Jojo and high fashion, because I think a lot of the costumes are like straight out of high fashion. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Dang. Also, it's been going for a lot. Like the manga has been going for a long time and there have been different anime series for the different parts of the series. And so like Mm. you can come into different parts without having any experience with the other parts. Oh yeah. Yeah. Z number three. My number three, the number three from Z, also involves a Z. Ooh. Zappa fans. <sighs> kind of surprised that uh, I, I threw Rush into the limelight, if you will. <laughs> um, but Frank Zappa and his Mothers of Invention, and later just Frank Zappa, no coverage at all during Fanthropological. No. Man, oh man. Frank Zappa's like a world unto itself. He's got like <laughs> oh, yeah. 80 albums. Yeah, and I think it's still is either still releasing albums posthumously or only very recently stopped just because he's got this huge archive of stuff because he was a maniac about recording things. I believe he died in 1993. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's, you know, you know, there's a whole trove of people who are just, who are just, that's what you can just listen to Zappa your whole life. Yeah. Have enough variety, you know? (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, it's there's still like a, a heavy, a strong spine of blues in a lot of his music. Yeah. A little bit of jazz here and there, but mostly comes back to that blues. So, like, mm-hmm. there's variety, but uh, the best expression of it that's not Zappa is probably Weird Al's Genius in France, one of his <laughs> his style parody of Frank Zappa. Oh yeah, but I think it would it would be a fun would- thing to do, fun episode. We we also got a They Might Be Giants episode in there. Yeah. Not too oh, much. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We covered some we covered some faves. Mm-hmm. T. I think it'd be neat to cover DC and Marvel comics. We never actually did that. We did an MCU episode. That was it. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't even think we talked about Batman. Nah. I'm fine with that. Nah. Yeah, no. I'm also <laughs> I'm also fine with that. I don't actually want to cover DC and Marvel comics because I think that they're interesting. I think that the fact that they are interesting is interesting. And mm-hmm. by that I mean like there was a tweet that went around recently that was talking about how manga, uh, manga and 
graphic novels are both way more popular in terms of sales than DC comics and Marvel comics. And so I don't know if that was always the case, but it feels true to me. And I want to know if that's the case, why people give a shit about DC and Marvel. I get how Spider-Man might be an interesting story when there's only one of them. I get how Batman might be an interesting story when there's only one of them. And I get how things can be interesting historically. Wonder Woman is a fantastic example of that. Actually, Wonder Woman is great going like the whole gamut of things. But I don't get why it's still a thing. Who wants to keep hearing the same stories? I don't care how many twists you put on it. I am i don't want to see another Batman. I'm more than happy to pick up a graphic novel and learn about, let's see, what have I got on my shelf? Uh, my yeah. brother's husband, a story about a guy whose twin brother died and his gay husband shows up in Canada and they, they we learn about how homosexuality in Japan is viewed. Paper Girls, weird time travel adventure uh, graphic novel, saga. I don't even know how to just summarize that. And then all the manga that I have, like that all seems way more interesting with Batman. Why is Marvel and DC a thing? I want to know. <laughs> it didn't cover it. <laughs> uh, Marvel and DC, very much the Bell and Rogers of, uh, of the comic book world. Whoa, bringing it home. They're it. And they convince people that that's how comics work. (laughs) But like, there's also Image and Dark Horse. And even those have more interesting things. I'm like, why? (laughs) Most of those are subsidiaries of either DC or Marvel. At this point, yes. Yeah, probably. Yep. Yep. But yeah, no, you're right. The the DC Marvel and like the whole Western comics industry. That would have have been good. I mean, more of a history, I think. More and more detail, but like like a fascinating subject. My number three is drag fat there is so much in there yeah 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 because you know i've seen some drag race but i don't know much beyond that and you know i've seen a lot of different reactions to how people feel about drag race and stuff like that so i want to know more like i want to know the biz i want to know what people like about drag what they what they'd like to see what they don't like to see sort of its origins how drag is done differently in different parts of the world and and all that kind of stuff i that I, I feel like there's a there was a lot there or there was a lot there there's like a crap load of history there. <laughs> Closest we got, there's like, there's a little tiny bit of the Lucha Libre episode. Oh, right. Because there was also uh, a bunch then, of history in there. Interesting. I suppose that brings it back around to me for my number two. Yeah. My number two is cyclists. Cyclists? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yes, cyclists, people who enjoy bicycles, whether whether it would be the enthusiasm for the mechanics of the bike, riders of different distances, racers, slowers, if that's a thing. Triathletes. Triathletes might get in there a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I've even heard of them. <laughs> even those who just see the bike as a fantastic invention, perhaps a little bit of how it uh, helps empower uh, working class people in, in Ireland and England and and the world in general when it was invented okay yeah and that's also how a lot of women gained independence because yeah. obviously when you were trying to date somebody like a man could just coerce you but once women had bicycles they literally could just bike away there's like yep. a whole thing with women bicycle gangs hmm man interesting some kate yeah. meet some kate beaten guys oh man i gotta get back on that i don't think she's yeah. updated in forever but like there's some stuff about bicycle with uh, bicycle gangs and there was like a twitter thread like i don't know a year ago but it was fascinating Mm. But how the bike changed things. Oh, we're doing number two, right? Yes, we are. <laughs> Short list. It should be hard to keep track of. My number two is Undertale. Mm. Oh, yeah. Very recently, there was a, I don't know, five-year anniversary? Five-year. Yeah. Yep. Concert online, partly due to circumstances. And it just reminded me how many people were into that game. And 
when I dig deeper into that, I'm like, wait, how is that even possible? From what little I remember knowing about Undertale, it's a game developed by Toby Fox, who had not developed any games professionally previously, other than some mods for like mm-hmm. Earthbound. Yeah. And, yeah. And so I think it's fascinating to see that grow into a game mostly made by like one person or a small team that became insanely popular. I think he did all of the music. That sounds I feel like right. he was primarily a musician. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because prior to making he made Undertale. some he made some music for Homestuck. Oh yeah, that was what it was. Yeah. I think that probably helped spark the uh, Undertale's popularity because I feel like a lot of people who enjoyed Homestuck really would enjoy like the sense of humor and, and the writing and such of uh yep. Undertale. That answers that question. But I was like just fascinating to see this person who is like a fan of things, a fan of Earthbound, and to see that work become a thing that is a subject of fan interest. And like for it to go so big so fast, he got to play Smash Brothers with Sakurai and <laughs> sans is in smash (laughs) and like what also like a great lesson the game is where you don't have to kill people yeah and that's a lesson that i'm assuming the fandom is very accepting maybe i'm wrong but like a thing that not all fandoms follow through on which is fantastic and i want to i want to know dig into that i mean like (laughs) there's nothing stopping me i can still do that (laughs) yeah i don't know privately (laughs) privately start a blog those are still relevant i'm sure oh (laughs) (laughs) make a twitter what? thread yeah that would be. Oh, everybody loves those uh what about you g what's your number two number two again stemming from a personal interest though something that's fairly current is i would like to do an episode on bread tube <laughs> oh man because it just seems to be non-stop fireworks for those who don't know bread bread tube is basically a term loosely used for for youtubers who who they're very primarily about left-leaning subjects Politics from a left-leaning perspective, let's say. We're talking Lindsay Ellis. We're talking ContraPoints. We're talking Philosophy Tube. We're talking H-Bomber Guy. Like, the comment sections are flippin' wild. The Twitter <laughs> threads are 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 always too much. And then and then even the responses to fans that they have they have in their and their following videos are are crazy. So I think I think it would be an int- interesting and possibly volatile subject to cover. And would be changing constantly. Yes, changing constantly, indeed. Having uh, watched more leftist stuff on YouTube, uh, I'm definitely left with the impression that, like, left tube, bread tube is not necessarily all-encompassing. That, like... No. That, like, as, uh, as I feel, uh, I feel like a common criticism of the left, scare quotes, is that it's very disorganized, and I feel like uh, left tube is just a small part of it on YouTube. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there are fan types being like, this is what bread, t- this is the criteria for bread tube or so-and-so is not a bread tuber. And all of the largest bread tubers have been like, bread tube's not a thing. Yeah. Like, no, don't call me a bread tuber. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, there'd probably be a lot to cover there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Again, a, a story in progress. <laughs> yes. Also, uh, possibly a uh, somewhat shallow thing to mention, but a very, a very young bunch of people. I mean, like speaking as a thirty-four-year-old, these people in their twenties with their ideas. Uh. Yeah, speak up. <laughs> so, my honorable mention was another question, uh, very straight to the point: is admiration for a particular politician as representative uh, as a representative of their political alignments? or as a perceived like embodiment of certain ideals, fandom. How does fandom fit into politics? Oof. That was something that I, throughout the course of the show, deliberately did not want to touch on <laughs> whatsoever. Also very volatile. Yeah. 
my honorable mention was Archer. Okay. Hmm. I guess possibly more of an H. John Benjamin kind of thing, <laughs> but I just wonder if there are people who are are fan of Archer in like we always talk about general fandom. Like I don't know, people just watch TV, and so I wonder if there's like a dedicated Archer fandom or H. John mm-hmm. Benjamin fandom. Uh, that didn't pan out with Bruce Campbell, but hey, maybe there's other examples that are more representative. Maybe they're fans of his fake jazz album. <laughs> you know, you know, John. Like, if you want to come to the devil with a deal, you actually have to have like some talent. You need to put something in at the beginning. Oh man! Whoa! Uh, uh, I'd say back over to you. The big <clears> one <throat> for number one. <clears throat> to clear my throat for this one okay my number one coming in at number one hot off the number one the aiden chronicles fandom aiden chronicles yeah. fandom. an obscure i guess more western rpg released for the nintendo 64 in its last dying days that's right oh, the aiden chronicles fandom hidden away fandom a very hidden away fandom i don't even have anything to ad-lib with i have no <laughs> concept <laughs> what the Aiden Chronicles are <laughs> which would be a good reason for it to, to be an episode yeah yeah I mean I've it's a game that I've been fascinated with since playing it just because of the world building and even though it's a buggy mess sometimes the uh, the obvious somewhat uh, contradictorily the obvious love and care that went into it or at least the ambition that went into it uh, because it's this giant like open world game it's like it's kind of like skyrim but on the the nintendo 64 so there should be no surprise that it's a little buggy but uh looking into it on my own you know i found out that there's like a vibrant speed running community for it there are a lot of people who appreciate the world building that the game does and just sort of admire everything that went into to building that world and all the lore and all all of the medievaliness that's in there. Also the mechanics, because it's basically like, what if an RPG basically worked like Dungeons and Dragons? Ooh. There, there are spells that uh, reduce different stats, say dexterity. And if you reduce a creature's Ooh. dexterity to zero, it dies. If a stat reaches zero, some that that uh, character, that creature dies. It's another way to defeat enemies. Yeah, my interest. Which is like... A very specific, a weirdly specific thing to like about a thing, but I just find that fascinating <laughs> that that would be coded into a game, let alone an N64 game. This game looks like absolute crap. <laughs> there is that element too. It looks terrible, but like if you get past that and like the maybe Twilight Princess levels of, of dull as dirt opening section, it's great. I don't mean to say that it's a bad game. I can only comment on what I can see. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I feel like a lot of reviewers played the first hour and were like, nope. So a lot of the content out there is from the first section. That's just not very interesting. Maybe it just it just hit me at the right time, but I have a very special fondness for that game. My number one is a cop out. I yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) I would have just liked to cover more classic anime. I also wanted to say, like, just go deeper into topics that we'd already covered, like get really specific about asking questions about specific fandoms. But I think really what I wanted to do is cover a bunch of stuff from the mid 90s and earlier that was really popular at the time. And then I don't think has any sort of staying power now. Like there was a point in time where you could talk about Slayers or Outlaw Star or the Chanchi series. And those were things that people knew when you talked about anime. And now I think you're much more likely to think about, God, I don't even know, Dragon Ball still somehow. My Hero Academia probably. 
Mm-hmm. And there were other there are other shows that continue to go on, like Lupin the Third. Uh, but there's like so much crap that came out, and I'm just like, this is fascinating. I want to know if people still love this stuff <laughs> or if it died. I want to know if it's a time capsule of like fandom. I think it would have been great to talk more about the 90s. I think there was lots of stuff there that resonates with me, but it's also interesting. I think the further we go into the future, the more the things that we see now continue to exist. Like the internet has made us globally closer. How much globally closer can it get us versus like Mm. in the seventies and eighties where it's like, Hey, do you want to watch the show? You have to like mail somebody for tapes. Yeah. And so I I guess it's interesting to think back historically to that kind of stuff. And that's why it would have been great. I think it'd also be fun to do a watch along like related to that. idea, doing a watch along series, which we didn't do. No, we never did. No. Think about revisiting topics. I, I'd be very curious to look at Star Wars now. <laughs> but back around my number one pick for episode I'd like to do QAnon. I'm kidding. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Got to work in your t- uh, comedic timing there, G. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of which, my number one actually is improv. Hmm. Yes, and um, <laughs> yes, and um, yeah. I mean, it has it has quite a history at this point, and a lot of fans, and a lot of those fans become the next wave of improv comedians. So, both interested in people that are like exploring the art form, uh, are fans of it, or are fans of its history, or are fans of like the multitude of podcasts I listen to that are like basically circling around Earwolf that are all LA improv comedians. <laughs> like, there's lots of different places to go with it, as there is an improv. Because I thought about it. The first thing I thought was stand-up comedy. And I think that would be kind of interesting, but I think I'm more interested in improv and what people get out of it, both performing and watching. Hmm. As somebody who attended a, an improv comedy workshop at, uh, at an Anime North once, I can tell you something people get out of it is the rush of coming up with an awesome line. And then the rush of trying to come up with an awesome line in another scenario down the line and not being able to do so. It just, there's nothing left. Nothing left. There. Nope. <laughs> yeah, I th- that would be a huge topic to cover just because like think like from what I know about improv comedy, that could touch on stuff like Saturday Night Live. You could talk about like the Saturday Night Live is not improv. Well, or no, but, but the from people started, right? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Never mind. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the the people who started that show like back yeah. back in the day, whatever, 70s. Yeah. But like all the all the little <laughs> troops that uh were around in the states yeah. and probably Canada. Uh, yeah, that um, that then like went on and became huge stars like Eugene Levy like, or uh, Amy Poehler. I think Tina Fey started out in improv. Upright Citizens Brigade is a is a huge huge legacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We never really like touched on comedy, but I don't know how we'd be able to do that in, in one episode. We'd have to have like a comedy season. Guaranteed laughs for sure. <laughs> Of course. Explaining jokes is it's, it's what makes them ten times funnier. <laughs> it just feels explaining jokes. <laughs> now here is a joke that was considered very funny in the nineteen fifties. Oh. <laughs> There's gotta be a podcast that does that, right? Probably. Joke explainer. Joke exploder. Oh. <laughs> oh, there is a website for that. Explainthejoke.com. Ah. Oh no. Example. When does a joke turn into a dad joke? When the answer is apparent. Explanation. <laughs> oh my god, this is great. <laughs> That's actually fucking out there. <laughs> oh man.
Uh, I mean, that's the new Alexa send tweet. Yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah. That's it. That's the list. That's the that's the features that uh, never work. Mm-hmm. Exist somewhere in your mind, probably. If you have feedback about those episodes that we might have done, <laughs> please send them to nickatthenixcast.com. And you can find uh, our wheelings and dealings anywhere on the internet at The Nixcast. If you're looking for me, Nick G, you can find me at fragileair.bandcamp.com or soundcloud.com slash fragileair. Listen to my synth music. I don't know what genre it is, but I use synths to make it. <laughs> Listen to it and let me know. If you want to know what I'm up to, you can check out the Zeal Archives, every episode covering the world of Chrono Trigger one bit at a time, part audio drama, part discussion. We learn so much about the game, which is super relevant for some other things that we do. There are two seasons of it out right now. The next season comes out in 2021. You can find that at zealarchives.com, or if you follow all of our different social media, I'm sure we'll be posting when new episodes are coming out. You can also check out twitch.tv slash the race against time which is normally an annual charity fundraising marathon but until the next one it's gonna be me streaming some awesome games and maybe some high production value i don't know yet but by the time you're listening to this episode we'll be back up and running and hopefully it looks awesome as for me z you can find what i'm writing since that's what i'm doing aside from this podcast these days over at uh, amazon any amazon if you're choosing dot com dot a u dot n z perhaps if you're down in new zealand or just prefer to use that store for whatever reason and to uh, find my stuff immediately upon landing on that website go ahead and type beowulf a mostly modern verse translation into the search engine Or, if you're feeling kind of bold, feeling a little Beowulf-like yourself, try out NSC Zakarowitz, and that should bring it up for you. And, probably by the time this episode is released, there will be another book up there for you. So, please do enjoy. Alright everyone, that is going to do it for this episode. Next week, we are going to be laying Phanthropological to rest as we sort of just generally reflect on our, oh, few years Mm -hmm. uh, doing this podcast, talking about fandoms. Four years. Four years. <laughs> how many years? Um, we did. We've done it for years, but you guys don't say how many. Uh, let me go to jokeexplainer.com. <laughs> <laughs> but until next time, we'll talk to you next time. Goodbye, everybody. We got that right in the nick of time. Heyo. Hey,